how does one need to show up in order to create a context for people to be the best versions of themselves and do their best work? What are the practical skills and tools that boost one's practice of leadership in order to do that? These are the challenges that we as leadership practitioners approach every day as we observe and coach people in all kinds of roles, in all levels of organizations, and at organizations of various sizes. In this podcast, we'll share our experiences, the experiences of the people we support, and what we see as working. I'm Jonathan Rosenblatt. And I'm Marlene Jabrowski. Welcome to the Leadership Practitioner Podcast. Hey, Marlene. Hey, JR. So in the last episode, we talked about the inner practices, which means this episode, we talk about the outer practices. Yeah, these are the, they're not really the next step, because when, when approaching practicing leadership, if this is a new concept, or this is fitting into your already existing concepts of how to practice leadership, this is the step that often comes first in that we're in the world with other people and it's not going the way we want it to go. (laughs) And so the inner practices are what we double back to, to kind of, I don't know, I like to think of it as do my homework (laughs) so that I can go out into the world and and be be more ready to meet people where they are. But the, the outer practices are that, they're meeting people where they are. In fact, starting even with the first one, which was which is connecting and empathizing with others. And it boggles my mind how often this particular one is missed, right? We live in, in a world where things are moving so quickly and we're constantly trying to get more done in less time. And and I, I find through my own experiences and also, you know, with, with coaches that I work with, that everything becomes so transactional. Everything becomes so like, okay, just get it done, get it done, get it done. And and you stop thinking about people as humans that have emotions, that have needs, that have all of these things. And yet, for me, as soon as I clued in onto this particular practice of actually connecting with people in who they are, and then you added in for me the the empathizing part, which I thought was such a game changer for me, because it's it's even, it's great that you can connect with someone. But when you turn on that empathy, it brings the connection to such a to like the next level. And so I thought it was it was such a beautiful thing to start the interactions that you have with other people to start there. Mm, I'm honing in on, on the language you said about turning on the empathy. I'm guessing that if we really dug into it, it's not so much turning it on, but it's about recognizing the potential for where it where it is mm-hmm. right where it already is and then building on that yeah no you're right because i mean we all have it in there somewhere um it's just a matter of recognizing what it is and then bringing that up to the surface and enabling those feelings to go back and forth between humans to get that connection so yeah absolutely and i like the way you started off talking about the systems that we often work in of course leadership can be practiced anywhere you and i tend to do a lot of our work in organizations that are, you know, um, companies, corporations, Mm -hmm. making things. And we've talked a lot about the differences between the different places that we've been at and people we've worked with, the different places they've been at, and the way that different organizations take a different stance around creating opportunity for people to have those I, I like the way you put it, not sort of the non-transactional connections, you know, the, the connection for the sake of connection, even if 
kind of further up the hierarchy, folks are thinking about the reason why they want a company that spends time and energy doing that is because they recognize that if this company is going to produce innovative products, that's absolutely a precondition for innovation to happen because it's in that interconnection between human beings and in space, on the job space for people to have opportunity to allow their empathizing with each other to bubble up and be present, that that's exactly what's needed to create, I'm going to say that sort of fertile conditions for uh, profound creativity, right? Game-changing new innovation. We talked about this in a, in a previous episode where doing all this stuff, practicing leadership is not just in the, in the business context. And this particular practice of connecting and empathizing with others really spoke to me also with family or with, uh, you know, with, with, in my case, with my wife and with my children. And it was interesting how kind of like once upon a time when I was just kind of getting thinking about this kind of stuff, it was very much so like, Hey, how was your day? You know, and it's kind of like, how was your day? How was your day? Okay. Whatever. Awesome. You know, check mark that particular one's not that transactionality of it. And I mean, that was fine, but at some point, like it just gets a little bit empty <laughs> for a lack of a better word. And as soon as I kind of went into, I, I keyed in that it's like, oh, you, this connecting and empathizing with others is not just a business thing. What would happen if I tried it at home? My relationship with, with my wife and my kids went to such another level because it was no longer about, you know, it was no longer about the thing. It wasn't a lot about the data point of how their day was, but rather the asking, the spending time together, the going into detail, the kind of seeing, seeing things for, from their perspective rather than the question of how was your day? And it seems so, it seems so insignificant that I'm, I'm kind of sitting on this topic of, well, how was your day? But to me, it brought such clarity to the value of connecting and empathizing with others as one of the first, first things that I do. Because remember, from the previous episode, in, in my world, I go through the practices of the of the leadership practitioner framework sort of in, in order in every situation that I get in. So for me to start with that connecting and empathizing with others was a game changer for the rest of it. I like that story of how sort of the, your work world and your home world came together in that way. And as often as the case, as we work together, I've got a, a similar story that's a little bit diametric and a little bit aligned. I think that the connecting and empathizing with others is probably, oh, I almost want to make a joke here and say I was born doing that. <laughs> like that, like the, the, the empathizing with others is, is like it's just a huge part of, of a pattern in me. And yet at work... In that world where the, I often tell the story of the, you know, the traditional leaders, the people who are more kind of on the traditional side of leadership, who were pretty clear that empathizing wasn't part of the territory. I found that at work, I needed to kind of banish that. I, I thought if I was following their instructions for how I was supposed to show up and be a leader and be a, you know, an appropriate member of the executive team <laughs> that I needed to, I needed to leave that behind. And, you know, imagine my joy when I discovered that this is a whole field of modern leadership where not only is that not the case, that we actually lose things in the business world if we try to make it the case. 
And so you'd think that I've got the sort of whole connecting and empathizing, you know, in the bag, as if it were. Yet when I went these last couple of months to live with my parents and support my my elderly parents, and my, my father um, is is got some very significant health concerns right now. And I actually, because of COVID, went to go and live with them and support them. So there I am you know, living with my parents again. I don't know if it's obvious to a lot of people, but that is a, a situation where there could be a lot of volatility. Yeah. And dealing with, with my father's um, condition and helping him and my mother negotiate his, his dementia. And it, I don't know if this is true in all cases, but certainly it was the truth here where his dementia is really, let's just say it's making him more himself in some ways. Like in some ways he's losing himself. But in other ways, he's becoming more himself. <laughs> and um, I'm laughing at the more himself because th- there's an intensity to to that, that the me living there, th- this could have been a really explosive situation. And I found that I was actually able to use the framework tools <laughs> around connecting and empathizing, right? This thing that I... I, you know, say, oh, I've got that. I don't even, this is the part of the framework I didn't even need. I just had that, right? Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) Because in these highly, highly reactive situations where I would otherwise be triggered all the time, um, having that set of tools in my backpack that were kind of coming from the world of business. And so more, I'm going to say conscious, more chosen, more deliberate. It was, it turned the situation that could have just been pretty awful, right? And, and I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a, a lot going on there that is pretty awful. And there's, there's a lot of emotion there. Um, but in terms of my ability to show up and be actually helpful to my parents, this tool in our toolkit, you know, these tools in our toolkit, like by using them a little bit more by rote, by using them a little bit more consciously, by being aware, oh, you didn't use that tool today, Marlene. <laughs> so by using them with intention. Using them with intention. Exactly. The, the fact and framework itself created the conditions of intentionality that allowed me to show up in this incredibly emotional situation and to continue to show up in that situation with, yeah, with a degree of intentionality that wouldn't have been available to me if I hadn't been so conscious about the fact that this is indeed a tool. So that was a, lo- a long-winded way of, of saying, yeah, what you said and the flip side of it too. <laughs> yeah. In, in a, and especially in these types of situations too, the, the next out of practice, which is exploring curiously, comes, into, comes very much so into um, the context as well, where depending on, on how the situation is, it in your ability to ask the questions or to, I'm going to say it differently, is to remove assumption and to remove preconceived notions that you have and actually treat any kind of situation, especially, you know, the one that you were describing or the one that I was describing, coming into the situation and just being curious and whatever curious means to you. But for me, curious means that I kind of, I like, I, I almost, remove everything from my mind. I'm going to go in and what, um, you know, I was always taught to be called it as a beginner's mind or a child's mind and just be kind of look at anything and ask the questions. And I found that as soon as I started doing that, as soon as I started exploring curiously, 
I started seeing things which even for the like the things that were previously there, I started seeing things in a different way. And that kind of just for, first of all, it doubled down on the connecting and the empathizing because when you're when you're able to see things outside of your own context, to be able to see things from other people's perspectives, holy moly, does that change your your world. So for me, I thought that was like the biggest thing to to stop assuming, to stop you know, having preconceived ideas and to start really looking for what could be out there was phenomenal. Mm. As a coach, leaders often share with me places where they're stuck. And one of the common themes I hear is around leaders who are surprised by reality. Like they're surprised by the the experiences that the people around them are having, but I didn't know. I didn't know that was it was like that for you. Or why didn't why didn't someone tell me? Why didn't someone tell me that it was bad like that, or that that you were blocked like that, or that you couldn't get things done the way you couldn't get things done? Why didn't someone tell me? Why didn't I know? Why wasn't this made apparent to me? Right? And I often have coaching conversations with nominal leaders. Often these are people who have positions of you know have title in an organization and and they are puzzled as to why they don't know the things that maybe I might be coming to them and saying, well, this is what people are experiencing. And they're like, but no one's told me that. How come I don't know this? The the curiosity tool in the toolkit is very much the solution to that. That's the remedy. Because curiosity is about showing up without judgment. Curiosity is not, I'm curious to learn why and why you're doing this, right? Why in the sense where I'm really asking for justification or I'm really asking for an explanation because I don't agree with what you're doing, right? Curiosity is that uh, openness to really why. And even the word why can put people off. Right. Because the word why hasn't has come to mean something different from what it means in its strictest grammatic sense. In its strictest grammatic sense, why is, well, tell me the conditions that have led to this. But unfortunately, because of the way it gets used, why often means for what, you know, expletive, expletive reasons <laughs> is it that you are doing X, Y, or Z? Yeah, it's used like for for blaming. Yeah, for blaming. And so what is it what does it mean to cultivate a why that isn't about blame, a why that is judgment free, and a why that is really open to understanding what makes people tick? For what reasons are they doing what they're doing? And when we can do that, when we can really be interested in the for what reasons, right? Not in the sense of wanting people to justify those reasons, but to really understand those reasons, that opens up the possibility of understanding the water we're swimming in. That allows the fish to see the water that it's swimming in. That allows us to begin to see the system conditions that create the conditions that inform why people do what they do around us. And so if we're leading an organization then we probably are pretty interested in that water that we're swimming in. And so exploring curiously, you know, curiously, not judgmentally, 
curiously not bound by our preconceptions are what allow us to begin to see the, we, you and I, Jara, we use the language of conditions, but in this metaphor of the fish in the water, that's the water that the fish is swimming in, to actually begin to see that which allows us to be and do where we are and also what doesn't allow us, you know, where are we blocked? Where are the patterns in in that water that that prevent us from doing the things that we want to do? Which, of course, then sets it up greatly for the next practice, which is sharing information, because in that clarity that you're getting from that you know, from that curiosity, it, it creates those conditions again for sharing information in such a way where you can continue that curiosity, you can continue that co-creation or that collaboration with other people. And, and we talk about sharing information as sort of like these, these two different languages almost. One is, you know, like the language of possibility where, again, you're keeping things open so that you can, you can see what's going on. You can, and, and invite people to share more. So it's kind of like double backing on that or doubling down on that, exploring curiously. And then there's also the language of experimentation where if you do have an idea and you, and, or you want to share something that the hopes is that, you know, the person or the group that you're working with can see it from that perspective, right? It's not always about seeing it from other people's perspective, but also learning how to share your perspective in a way that invites people to build on it. I always, I, that's how I kind of think about it is that if I'm going to, if I'm going to share something out into the world, I want to do it in such a way where, first of all, I can demonstrate that I've, I've listened, right? That's so important for people to feel heard. So how can I share my ideas, share my perspectives in a way that, first of all, I can acknowledge what I've heard um, and I can celebrate that. And I can also add something to it that positions it in a way where someone else can add to that. And with enough of the adding and adding and adding, you come up with really, really amazing things that likely had you just gone with just the one idea, whether it's yours or someone else's, but had you just gone with the one idea, probably would have worked, but may not have been as amazing because it didn't have all of these other voices around it as what you ultimately came up with in the end, because you created those conditions for people to add. Yes. Think back to when you and I, Merlene, were going through and, and developing the framework. It took us a little bit at the beginning there to find our groove in terms of, like, we got the connecting part down, no problem, very easily. But it, it took us a little bit of a groove to learn how to explore each of our ideas curiously, um, to kind of put away all of the uh, assumptions that we had about what the framework could be, and and then learn to share it in such a way where rather than me coming in and saying, oh, okay, Marlena, this is what we're going to do, right? I know I had to learn the language of putting it out there and without constantly being like, okay, well, Marlene, what do you think about this? Not that there's anything wrong with it, but I, I, our process of coming up with, with this work really helped me learn a language where I wouldn't have to ask that. It would just feel natural because uh, I've opened it up for the possibility of saying, hey, Marlene, like I, like I really value your opinion here. What do you think? Without having to say that. And it was such a beautiful process. Mm. I think that the approach that you've often articulated that is the importance of this being structure. And my approach that I came to this where it's you know, probably not an accident that my metaphor is that, you know, floppy walled 
a big compartment backpack where it's important that there be a, a, a com- compact amount of tools because I'm probably likely going to dump them all out on the table in front of me and rummage on the right one. <laughs> <laughs> and when you've got someone in a situation who really leans into structure and you've got someone who leans into not structure, and yet what we're creating is a kind of structure, is a kind of framework, which is a kind of structure, how we shared information was so interesting, <laughs> right? Because it was. I would try to say, well, I want less structure here. And sometimes I would hear you trying to share information that we need more structure here. <laughs> <laughs> and I agree that we needed more structure. But at the same time, the structure itself couldn't constrain the, I didn't want it to constrain. I thought we would lose something if we lost the openness of what I wanted to bring to it. And the very fact of our framework language, if you think of that, that's the water that the fish were swimming in because we had agreed, we had agreed we were creating a framework. Mm -hmm. So then your assumptions around what framework meant and my assumptions about framework meant, this is water we're swimming in. And then in the midst of that, how could we create space for the openness? That was really interesting, the way we worked our way through. And I noticed the way that when we fell back on the tools of sharing information, rather than coming in with the solution and then sort of negotiating, right? So I didn't come in with, this is my solution and we're negotiating for it. You didn't come in with, this is your solution and we're negotiating for it. And then, you know, may the best solution win. But rather, we ended up sharing the bigger picture around what motivate what motivates us in our approach, and how does our approach like what's its history? Where does it come from? Um, how does it contribute to our own motivation? How has it worked in our lives? How has it worked for others around us? And we we took the time to share that informationally mm-hmm. until that was all out on the table in front of us. And then from that, I would say the framework grew, right? It wasn't this competitive process. The framework grew out of, and, and there was a lot of, like, we, we had to let a lot go. We did. We did. And there was a lot of experimentation there. Yeah. And yet, if we think about the last, the last piece of the framework influencing that sharing of information I mean, the curiosity, right? In this, I think the ordering, I'm completely down with you that these are in order because the showing up and exploring curiously leads to the possibility of sharing of information. The sharing of information then allows for influence. And influence done so in a way that, uh, first of all, is connection-based, right? Because you've done all of these steps beforehand to, to connect on something that really matters, Right, like something that is is worthy of doing something um, about, and it's influenced based on on something that you're motivated, right? Rather than being uh, influenced based on fear, or rather than having to pull a power card over someone to say, "Well, no, you know what? Like because of this, or the you know by the power invested in me, you're going to do this." We didn't need all of that because we had taken the time to humanize this process. Then influence was the the by the consequence the byproduct the 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 amazing thing that came out 
we were able to influence each other rather than that being the intention of coming in to be like, okay, I am going to influence Marlene to think differently. Right. In fact, categorically, every time that I did that unknowingly um, and then corrected it afterwards, but I'm not perfect. Every time I, I found myself that I did that, those were the times where we, you know, where it was challenging working sessions. And that was the opportunity where I was like, you know, in the, in the spirit, again, of the inner practices from the last time of grow of learning and, and improving, I would be like, Hmm, okay, clearly my intention is off here. I went back to that, reset my intention, came back, reconnected, and then everything else kind of flowed through such that again, because we were able to connect, because we were able to, to see things for what they were to each other and together, the influence was just there and then things happened. And then it was bi-directional, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't a JR influencing Marlene or Marlene influencing JR. It was Marlene and JR influencing the situation that they've created together, the context that I'm talking about they, like it's not us. <laughs> I just realized that. So it was you and me influencing the context rather than influencing each other, which I think is what ultimately made it what it was. And it was, you know, and and that was the success of it. Do you remember that one moment where we were looking at a sentence and I, in, in, in some of our material, and I referred to it as the sentence you wrote and you're like, no, 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 I think you wrote that. And we realized, <laughs> we realized that there was enough in that sentence. You, you get this playing music sometimes where you can hear a kind of instrumentation that emerges and there's not you know, there might be like a three-piece group of people playing music and you can hear like a fourth piece come out of it. And it was like this a sentence where it was as if some third party had written it, where I didn't recognize it as entirely my own. You didn't recognize it as your own. Mm-hmm. And yet it was what a collective voice actually is. And now compare that because like, I'm going to go back to where we first talked about leadership not being about title. You know, practicing leadership isn't about title and who can practice leadership. Anybody can practice leadership. I don't know if I gave the example in the podcast, but I had been, I think I did. I was talking about the way that way back when, when I was teaching and I'd be in a lecture hall and 400 people would write down what I said. And there was a part of me that thought, ooh, wow, that's, that's a lot of power. That's pretty cool. And then I would be in the sectionals where I'd be working with, maybe I'd have two or three sectionals where I'd work with like a smaller group of people. And I would learn what they really thought about what they wrote down. And I would realize in a lot of cases, they may have written it down by rote because the particular water that we were swimming at the time says that if the you know person at the front of the room, the person at the podium says something, you're supposed to write it down because you might be tested on it, right? So the power of that situation required them to do so. Yet the concepts that I was talking about really would not and did not have any meaning if they weren't practicing these things in their lives. And when we got to the sectionals and I began to learn how they heard what I said, um, what meaning it made to them, how it didn't make meaning to them, it was the, the revelation that it might feel really to a certain part of my psyche awesome to stand up and see 400 people write down what I say, but it's almost meaningless. And it's in the, the curiosity, the exploring curiously and the sharing information and the learning where they're coming from and the mentoring and the supporting as they choose or don't choose to integrate 
those concepts into their life, as they take those concepts and make them their own and share information around what meaning and what they're bringing. And it becomes that, that third voice, right? That, that shared territory, that co-created output. That's where real learning happens. And that's where we, we've gone with the word influence rather than power. And, and I think for me, that, that's why I think influence is the real power. Mm-hmm. Coercive power only works as long as the system is there to apply the coercion. Right. And coercive power leaves people feeling smaller and coercive power never produces that third voice. Whereas influence, wow, like influence. I mean, influence is where we can take these ideas and melt them and and make something new that that is new to both of us. And where it actually has an impact, right? Like a positive impact, like an actual positive change on the outcome. It reminds me, and maybe this will be the, the last uh, example of, of this one for this episode. It reminds me of conversations that we've had with students who have gone through the leadership practitioner course. And, you know, at the beginning, some of the feedback that we got was like, how come you guys don't provide notes? And we had great conversations around the fact that if similar to what you were saying, Marlene, in your um, teaching, if we were to provide notes for all this stuff that, you know, as part of the, the program, our notes, those are our ideas. So now we would, be, we would be forced to be sharing information in such a way where we're stating things as this is what they are. You know, whereas, I mean, we're following the framework to talk about the framework. So when, you know, people go through the modules or go through the videos, they're all invitations to be thinking about these things and then take away whatever matters to you and however you understand it. And so it was fascinating to have these conversations with students about, well, we want the notes. And, and you know, Marlene, you and I were both kind of like, well, yeah, so then take them, it, but take them in the way that it, you get out of it. And then when people brought that back to the learning circles, which the, like the weekly get togethers that we have, it was only then where people were like, oh, that totally makes sense because, oh, you took it like that. I understood it like that. And now the conversations back and forth of, oh, you understood it that way. I understood it that way. Every single learning circle that we have, the feedback comes back where everyone's like, wow, that was a great conversation. I didn't see it that way. And now I can go apply it the way that we talked about it together. See, that to me is influence. That to me is using the, the language of possibility, experimentation motivation and really focusing on the, or not focusing on the who's right, who's wrong, your idea is better than my idea, but this, that shared voice that you were talking about and truly making a difference in people's lives. And I think that's, that's ultimately what uh, I think both of us started all of this for is to, to have that kind of positive impact. Mm-hmm. And that's why when we were toying with the idea of having or not having the learning circles, it was a bit of a no brainer that we needed to have them because it, this isn't about you, you you can you can go through the course you can learn the stuff you can have you know read the books the the examples and the tools that we have in in our framework you can find other tools that that are in you know that would fit just as well and you can check the boxes you can learn but if you're not actually practicing these with other people then then that's kind of missing the point. <laughs> and so these learning circles were us wanting to create conditions where 
the people moving with us through these ideas have a very safe place to come and practice with each other and explore these ideas, not just in a cognitive way, but in a, oh, you know, wait for it in a, in a practicing way. Through the last podcast and this one, we've walked through the leadership practitioner framework. We've described the inner practices, shifting mindset, enabling learning and improvement, showing up with an intention, and responding versus reacting. And then this podcast, we went into detail of the framework pieces of connecting and empathizing with others, exploring curiously, sharing information, and influencing. And we've talked a bit about how the framework itself is an invitation. It's an approach. And we hopefully have given you enough to think about what it means when we say that leadership is not about a title. It's, it's anyone can practice leadership in any context where there's a group of people with a common goal. So now we want to turn it to you. And ask you, our listeners, how does that sit with you? What, what in there is interesting to you? What might you take up in your practice of leadership? Towards the end of this episode, we talked about influence as the consequence or influence as the thing that happens when you do everything else. And I'm so curious to hear your thoughts on that different take on influence and how you look at influence in your life and how you are having those influences on other people. So we look forward to hearing your stories. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Practitioner Podcast. We invite you to share your thoughts on this episode and your thoughts on how you practice leadership. Join us in the Leadership Practitioner Connection, our community of like-minded practitioners who aspire to create a context for people to be the best versions of themselves and do their best work. You can find it at leadershippractitioner.org slash connection. Mm-hmm.